podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are recapping a stressful win against the Texas Tech Red Raiders on Big are on uh, Big Monday, the first Big Monday of the season. Uh, and then we are getting ready for the first college game day of the season coming up against Kentucky on Saturday in Allen Fieldhouse. To help me recap and then preview, coming back to the show for the first time in a little while, it's Derek Johnson, host uh, over uh, of Rock Chalk Sports Talk over... Uh, in Lawrence, Derek, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, it's it's always great to have you on. I usually try to get most of the you know somewhat local media, whether it's newspaper or radio people, on at least once or twice a season. Because let me tell you, I I, I definitely could use the extra insight as well. Because as much as I watch these teams, there's probably stuff that I'm missing. So I always like to have as many different voices on so that people can get all the analysis they actually need. But this particular game um let me tell you that was a lot more stressful than i thought it needed to be what about you oh yeah i mean once you get up 70 to 58 or whatever it was down the stretch like you're not really expecting things to kind of ramp up there at the very end but that you know thank goodness for ochag baji right yeah for sure so so i i actually want to ask your opinion on this because I've maintained on here that this offense for for Kansas goes through absolutely horrid stretches where they just stop playing, it seems like. Um, But watching that game, I'm not sure how much of that was Kansas going cold or Texas Tech ratcheting up the defensive pressure a lot more than they even were earlier in the game. Which which one do you think is a better explanation for that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough just in the Big 12 in general because of how many great defenses. Texas Tech's a top five defense in the country, and... They play that like no middles defense, so they're basically going to force you to try to take jump shots and, and stuff. And fortunately for Kansas, they have a guy in Ochai Baji who can make a lot of jump shots. And that's kind of where the, I guess, Remy Martin conversation comes in. Like, in the game against Kansas State, I, I understood why Dewan Harris was in there late. It was just a better matchup defensively. It was a better matchup. Um, just with how he was playing and, and what he could do for the offense against Texas tech, you need some more of that creation, which, which that was kind of interesting. But as far as like the lulls, it's, it's yes, this team definitely is lull prone and that's very scary for the NCAA tournament in March, because if you have one bad lull, that can be the difference between your season ending or moving on. But I guess at the same point in time, the good news is that, They've been able to overcome those lulls in, in all the games you can think of, the 19 straight missed shots against Oklahoma State, the two points in nine minutes against Oklahoma, the lull at the end of the game against Texas Tech. So I guess that's that's good news that they've been able to overcome it. But it, it's weird because even despite all of those lulls, they still have a top five offense in the country. So I guess I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if that just means that you know, the lulls are an issue that, like I said, could come back to bite them. Or if it's a situation where you almost say, yeah, but if they figure out how to stop the lulls, then all of a sudden, maybe this is the best offense in the country. Yeah, it's also one of those things, too. I mean, because those numbers are, are definitely opponent adjusted, which means that as they face better and better defenses, there's a lower bar they have to clear in terms of the way that they're playing and how long those lulls can go without it hurting them. Um, but I, I think probably the most concerning thing to me is the fact that that wasn't just like, that's not something that's new in big 12 play, right? That's something that they did against Dayton. That's something that they did against Stephen F. Austin. Like they've done it so many times this year, which is a little unnerving at times. Um, I, I, I do think though, just the fact that they are playing so many phenomenal defenses and finding ways to, to get these wins is definitely a plus you, you get in the NCAA tournament you're not likely to face any defenses that are that are as good as the ones you're seeing night in and night out. Like Kansas is the worst defense in the Big 12, you know, and they're top 50. Um, and like everyone else in, in, the, in the conference is top 30. Like that means that you are, it's going to be very difficult for you to find a defense that's better than the ones you've been facing every single day in, in your own conference once you get to the NCAA tournament. I, I do wonder though, you know, talking specifically about this game, the thing that I think unnerved me the most just looking at what you were talking about there with the no middles defense, right? There was a lot of times, especially late in the, in the second half and then early in the first overtime where a guy like Dewan Harris would have the ball. And as part of the normal rotation, he would, you know, dribble to about the free throw line. And 
have nobody within, you know, eight or nine feet of him. And instead of, you know, jumping up and floating a little shot in, he would try to find a passing lane to get it out to somebody out beyond the three-point arc. And it seemed to me like, even if he doesn't necessarily make a bunch of those, if he starts taking those, so every time he drives in, they have to at least account for the fact, you know, that someone is going to try to shoot it. And and it, and it wasn't just Dewan Harris. It was also Ochai drove in a few times and did the same thing. I saw, you know, Wilson do that a few times as well. How how much of that, because it, it, it almost came across to me as, the guys weren't necessarily being as situationally aware as you would expect them to be, especially for an offense as good as they are. Is that something that I'm just reading too much into? Or do you think that that's an issue that we're starting to see with this team? So I think it's a combination of things. I, I think one, when you're playing a defense that good, sometimes there can almost be like a, a little shock and awe when, Hey, we drive, drove into the middle of the lane and, and it's open, Fair. but I, it, it's not open enough for me to like shoot a layup. I'll get blocked if I go any further. And then also it's, it's, you know, uh, a little bit for, like a guy like Dewan Harris, I, I I guess with Texas Tech, like they kind of sagged off of him in that game. And I, I think we're going to see more defenses do that throughout the season um, where they basically said, no, go ahead, shoot it. Like we're we're fine with you shooting it, similar to how we, we saw Marcus Garrett played at times. So I think part of it has to do with that. And then I, I also think there's a part of it where, you know, Kansas – sometimes this season has been a team that can overpass. Like they try to get a great shot instead of taking a good shot, which sometimes that can be great. Sometimes that that's a really good trait to have, but other times, you know, you just, you just want to take the shot. And um, I don't know if that was something that, you know, because of last time you played Texas tech, you ran into all these charges. I mean, it was just a, a charge fest throughout the game. So maybe that deterred you a little bit there too. Like maybe that's in the back of your head, but I think it's kind of a combination of all those things. Yeah. I, I just thought it was weird. Cause I mean, it was literally just wide open and, and you know, we've, we've seen a lot of debate. And of course you guys are talking about it on your show as well. The whole, you know, why doesn't Remy Martin play? And, you know, there's a bunch of conflicting reports. Like, was he on a minute's limit? Was there something else going on? You know, like there's, you can have that kind of conversation and, you know, it is one of those things. I don't know that we have enough information to intelligently talk about what exactly the reason was why he wasn't in there. Um, but, you know, if you have a guy like Remy in there, I don't think he's afraid to take those shots in the middle. Like he drives in, finds all that space and he, he's going to put up a shot and then they have to actually, you know, account for that. Um, and so it's it's kind of one of those things situationally. I, I that's the one question I think I have coming out of this game is that I don't know that I have quite the same level of confidence that I normally do that, you know, the decisions that Bill Self makes in terms of lineups this year are going to be quite as situationally sound. And it sounds like there's a bunch of other stuff happening, you know, off the court in terms of trusting that Remy's going to overall be able to run stuff as well as Dewan Harris. And I understand wanting Dewan Harris as kind of your main point guard. Um, but, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty clear, like night and day, the the Kansas State game where Dewan Harris was easily the best defensive option because he was the only one quick enough to stay in front of Nigel Pack. Um, and this game where... You know, most of Texas Tech's guards are, are a lot bigger and were able to, you know, basically abuse whatever Dewan wanted to do when he was trying to guard them. And so, I mean, are, are you are you worried at all about that? Do you think that this is exposing anything or was this just a bad night where things kind of spiraled out of control late? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Texas Tech is kind of a unique team. You're not going to face a lot of teams that basically play all wings and forwards. I mean, basically everyone in their, their lineup is like, six five to like yeah. six eight like in that range it's it's just kind of a weird team in that regard so i i do think it is kind of matchup based like you said against kansas state you needed somebody to to kind of stay in front of nigel pack and in that game remy martin didn't have a good game so that one you go with the the situation and, and it's hard to to ever question bills out because he's so good and and i don't know like I, i'm sure there's something that like i i would just say this is as much as i've questioned you know why remy martin wasn't in that game at the end there has to be some reason. And I don't, right. even if the, the relationship isn't great between Remy Martin and Bill Self, like I, I, I would feel that Bill Self is so good at his job. He's such a professional and he values winning so much. Like he's not, even if he doesn't like Remy Martin, and I'm not saying that's the case, but even hypothetically, if he like hated Remy Martin, he's not just going to be like, Hey, you're sitting on the bench the entire game because I hate you. Like if he's going to help him win games, he's going to help him win games. Now I think the key word you used there was trust and, and clearly Dewan Harris has more of the trust, but yeah, I, I would have just thought that that game was the right opportunity. Cause it seemed like the matchup was better. It seemed like Remy was out playing Dewan that game. Doesn't mean it has to be that way every game, but in that specific situation, I just wonder if, because 
it's it's not often that, like I said, we really get to a point where we are questioning Bill Self. The game that always comes to mind for me is the the game in Norman um, that KU lost to Trey Young, and it was the Hackadoke game. And he left Udoka Azubuki in the game late in the game, and everybody was was floored. Like, what are you doing? You, that basically lost us the game. Right. And his thought was, I, I'm focused on the long term here. I don't want to damage his uh, mental state by pulling him out of the game and basically telling him, hey, because you can't shoot free throws, you can't be late in the game. And what does that do to his confidence? And there's always like something there from the long term that maybe we don't always see. And I, I don't know what that would be for Remy. I was, I was having a hard time trying to distinguish what that would be on um, RCST this week. But I, I guess the one thing, like maybe he's just not doing small things, small things that, you know, that I, I'm not like a, a basketball coach or an X's and O's guy or anything. So I might not notice necessarily if, oh, Remy Martin should have switched here and he didn't, or he did uh, not switch and, and whatever, or, he turned the wrong way on uh, a play that he was supposed to go somewhere else or he crowded a lane that he wasn't supposed to. And, and I think it's, it's hard to, to see that unless you know the action that's happening. Some people are really good at that stuff. I'm, I'm not personally one of them. Right. And so I, I think it has to be about that. He has to be sending a message that if you're not going to do the small things right, then we're not going to keep you on the court. Yeah, I mean, and there was definitely some people, I, I I know you guys had talked about it somewhat as well, but I, th- I think you might have borrowed from someone like Jesse Newell or someone else kind of talking about what, what they noticed. There were definitely some plays where Remy got pulled and then, you know, Norm, Norm Roberts laid into him. And, like, there's other things where it's it's clear that he doesn't have, he's not doing every little thing that you would expect. Um, you know, it is one of those things though. I, I kind of am always finding myself walking the fine line, you know, as, as chiefs fans have found Andy Reed typically has a lot of leeway with the, with the decisions that he makes, but there are definitely some things that he doesn't do well. And he's one of the first people to acknowledge those. And, and so it's one of those things where if you are, you know, if you are looking at things and you are trying to find ways, like it's, it's fair to criticize, but it's also one of those things where you have to understand kind of like you were saying that you, we don't necessarily know all of the variables that go into a decision like that. And so while it can be completely obvious to us based off the information we have, there's probably some other information that he has. The other thing that really makes it difficult this year is just because of how loaded this roster is, there's always going to be somebody else that in a particular situation is a perfect fit for that situation, but you don't know if they're actually going to perform the way that, you know, they 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 should in that in that situation. And so you can talk about how great of a matchup this is for Remy, you know, and, and, and we saw KJ Adams at the end of this game in in overtime you know, just the way that he was able to play down the stretch there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, KJ Adams should have been in there for a good portion of the second half or anything like that. Like, you don't know that until you have to go to that if it's actually going to work out. And so, yeah, there's a lot that kind of goes into that. I do want to actually talk about some of the other players because obviously KJ Adams had a fantastic performance there in the overtime. You know, he ended up playing 17 minutes, only scored six six points, but he had some key rebounds. He played some really good defense at times. He did a lot of great things, I think, in this game. Um, were there any other players that really kind of stood out to you as, hey, they did a fantastic job in this game that we're maybe not recognizing because of the whole, you know, Remy controversy type of thing? Well, you know what? Like, I, I actually did agree that that KJ should have been the guy in that second overtime. And he gave fresh legs and, and he played really well. And I actually thought at the end of the regulation, KJ should have been the guy too. They pulled him with I don't know, four or five minutes or so. I thought he should have come in at some point because he just seemed to be a good matchup against what Texas Tech was doing. And, and so I I think that kind of overshadowed it. And basically at the end of regulation in the first overtime, uh, you didn't really get much from David McCormick and, and Mitch Lightfoot. It was quite the the contrary on that. But I will say, because it, kind of when it when it ends that way or when it happens in, in crunch time, it kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Like, I thought Dave actually did have a good game up until that point. I mean, he had 13 points, five rebounds against a team that plays really good defense, that plays no middles, that he had, I think he went one of three for, like, four points or something like that when they were in Lubbock. He couldn't really get anything going in that game. Um, I actually thought he played pretty well, but because it, it ended poorly and it ended with K.J. Adams finishing the game for him, like, like I said, deservedly so, I don't know that necessarily – you know, it, it wasn't a game that yeah, I, I would champion about and, and say that, you know, this is one of Dave's five best games or anything like that. But I, I thought he was just fine, which um, if you get 13 and five, Dave, every night, like, yeah, you may be wanting more and you probably want more rebounding and everything. But that's a lot better than the alternative of some of the uh, games we've seen where he's uh, kind of gone missing from the box score. 
Yeah, I mean, we've we've definitely seen those where he has like five points and like two rebounds and, you know, in, in 12 minutes or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, I thought he had a great game as well. Um, kind of to your point, there were a lot of guys, I think, that that got overshadowed by the fact that Ochai Abaji had an absolutely phenomenal performance. A, you know, National Player of the Year highlight type performance, the way he was able to put the team on his back there. Um, there is, though, you know, I've, I've heard a bunch of people talking about that, and, and we could talk forever about Ochai Abaji, and we've talked about how, how great he is. I do want to ask, though, because there is a player that I don't necessarily think stood out, but, you know, I'm looking quite at his quiet accumulation of the stats that he has, and the fact that if you look over on Ken Palm, he is actually number two in the Ken Palm player, or conference player of the year race, according to Ken Palm, and that's Christian Brown. Like, the last few weeks, he's kind of taken a step back from his, you know, absolutely blistering start at the beginning of the year. But like, it, it's it's hard for me to get a read on him, not just this game, but the last few games. So, I mean, what what are your thoughts on on the way that Christian Brown's playing? Is he kind of settled in to a role that you think is is good for this team moving forward, um, or do we need to see more out of him? So this is a, this is a complicated one for me because Christian. Um, the numbers he puts up game in and game out are, are fantastic. And, and they probably will be enough to end up on an all league team. I don't know if that'll be like first team. It'll probably be like second or third. Cause there's so many good players in, in the big 12. Right. And Ochai will be like the KU representative. Um, but Christian was playing off the charts from a scoring efficiency model in like November and, and December. He was shooting over 70% from two, which uh, probably wasn't sustainable, but also you felt like he was finishing at this just elite level that would continue on. He's down to just 42% on two point shots in the month of January, which again, with all these great big 12 defenses and a lot of them that play that no middles defense that Texas tech has, I guess it makes sense that it'd go down, but you would hope that it would be higher than 42%. Like that is a really low number. Um, and then his three point percentage. I, I think, um, after his freshman year when he very limited attempts, but he shot 45% from three and you kind of get in the, the thought process of, Oh, it's this white guy role player who shot 45% from three as a freshman. Like yeah. he's just a knockdown shooter. I, I don't really think he's a knockdown shooter. Like he's a, he's a solid three point shooter when he's open and set. If that happens, then he's, then he's solid. But when it's contested, he, he doesn't really have a quick release. So he, he struggles to kind of get the shot off, off the dribble or off movement or something like that. So I, I would just say he's kind of like an average three-point shooter. And um, in the month of January overall, his field goal percentage is 37%, which is a bit problematic. And I think um, you've seen a big correlation for Christian because when you look at a lot of his points, they've come from assisted from others and in transition. And with Christian Brown, he thrives in transition because he has been so good at getting to the rim, at leaking out, at, at making really good cuts and everything. And when you're playing these no middle defenses, it might be harder to get those cuts in the half court. So he's basically become, at least from a from a you know scoring standpoint, like he's still doing the the rebounding and, and passing and, and some of these other things well. But uh, for KU, I think to reach their goal, they need the scoring to maybe not get up to the efficiency it was in, in December or whatnot when he averaged over 20 points per game, but certainly it's got to be better than 37%. And I can't help but wonder if because of the fact that he feasts so much in transition and he's a great transition player, but the half court has maybe been a little bit more lacking, like how much does Remy Martin directly fuel Christian Brown? Because Remy Martin is probably Kansas's most important player in terms of just getting the transition game and the fast break started. Well, and 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 kind of to the point there, you know, when you get into the half court, a guy like Dewan Harris not getting any attention, especially recently, not getting any attention, makes it harder for everybody on the court. Uh, Brown isn't really one of those guys that I think of when I think, you know, slasher to the basket like Ochai is. Abaji can create his own shot. He can drive into the lane. He can, he can find himself a good shot, whereas Christian seems to me at least from the outside to be a guy that needs to have good shots set up for him, whether that's him getting good ball movement or good off ball movement and having the pass to him, you know, or someone else drawing defenders away from him so that he can take a quick step and find an open shot or something to that effect. He is not a guy that can with a guy in his face, create his own offense, Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like you, you need to have guys like not, not everybody needs to be able to do that to be successful, especially at the next level. But um, you know, he, he, he doesn't have as many fast break opportunities, kind of like what you're talking about um, his defense. He's not at the point now. I, I actually think his defense has tailed off a little bit from what it was early in the year. And that again is partly because there's just not nearly as much havoc being created by everybody. 
Um, you know, there's not as many fast break opportunities to kind of get the 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 opponent back on their heels a little bit like there's a lot of stuff that just isn't happening right now that really played into his game I, I wouldn't say that any of his stats are bad other than you know yes his, his shooting numbers have definitely taken a big dip um but that also isn't necessarily that surprising because you have a lot of really good defenses like we've talked about that are really good at guarding the shots that he likes to take um so yeah I think it's a combination of a bunch of different things I'm wondering how long it's going to take for him to kind of snap out of this funk and get back to being one of those those main scores that they need because I think that's the biggest problem right now. Yes, Jalen Wilson looked to be on the trajectory to be like that number two to Ochai, um, but it was Brown early in the year, which I think made it a whole lot easier. Um, I think the main thing though is that Brown still brings enough defensively that he's never going to tail off completely, especially in those sort of you know player of the year uh, or or conference you know first team all of those those sorts of uh, thoughts there, and so like. Yeah, he's definitely going to be one of those guys who is an absolutely fantastic piece to have moving forward. The question, or I think the the, the issue is that he's no longer like penciled in as that automatic number two guy. Like he's he's got to develop, I think, back to that for Kansas to have that number two guy that they need to really make a deep tournament run. Um, any other thoughts about this game or or anything that we've learned from this game moving forward before we turn to Kentucky? No, I'll just say, I mean, giant shot by Ochai to force the double overtime, especially when you look at not just the Kentucky game, but really this next stretch coming up, like especially for the Big 12 title, for getting a one seed, whatever like measurement you want to approach it to, like getting a win there was was pretty vital to start off this uh, big stretch. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, you know, leave it to me talking about all the other stuff that we just completely really didn't talk much about Ochai and how fantastic his performance was. I mean, 37 points, you know, six of 11 from twos, seven of 12 from threes. I mean, he shot 23 shots. <laughs> And made 13 of them. Like, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, probably the only ding in his game is just the fact that he was four of eight from the free throw line. I don't know how much of that was him just being dog tired from how much he actually played and, and how many shots he was taking and how much he was fighting through screens and everything all day, all all game long. Um, but yes, you're right. It was an absolutely phenomenal performance from him. And, you know, I mean, he looked, he looked for the most part, well, actually pretty much the entire night, he looked super comfortable out there and really, you know, took on that mantle of you know, front runner or one of the front runners, at least for national player of the year. He looks so comfortable. It kind of reminded me of, you know, the sponsor we have here on the podcast, and that would be Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch of more uh, different things for you to get out there. They have a hundred different schools available. They're adding new, new ones all the time. They're actually right in the middle of a big new Saturday season three. Uh, for every week for the next now six weeks, uh, I'm sorry, seven, including this Saturday coming up, uh, they will have a new a, a new school drop. This weekend is Gonzaga. Last weekend was Cincinnati. They have six more after that. Absolutely uh, great stuff there, and they're all basketball themed from from my understanding. So I don't I don't know for sure what's coming up, but let me tell you, if you're doing a big new Saturday that's basketball themed and you don't have Kansas in your lineup yet, it's the perfect time for it to happen. So if you haven't already gone out there to subscribe to those you might have a good opportunity to actually get a Kansas shirt coming up. And of course, if you're anything like me, once that lineup comes out, I'm probably going to be dropping way too much of my bonus this year on Homefield Apparel. So, um, But head on over to homefieldapparel.com. You can use, or use a little bit less of that money if you use promo code CHOCK12 and save 15% off that entire first order that you have. And all orders over $100 get free shipping. All right, Derek. Uh, so that will do it for the recap of the Texas Tech game. I do want to turn to Kentucky, kind of talk about what to expect from them this weekend and, and honestly the, the whole Big 12 SEC challenge as a whole. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Basketball season is finally here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference. You're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have, so go check out Midwest Madness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Here with Derek Johnson of Rock Chalk Sports Talk over in Lawrence uh, on, on 1320. Derek, obviously it's a huge matchup for Kansas this weekend. Um, you know, they, they were looking to try to close the gap. And like, I think there was hope at the beginning of the year that this could be the game where Kansas finally ties Kentucky up for the overall, you know, all time NCAA wins stat. Obviously, that's not going to happen because they're still three behind at this point, but they can get a lot closer than they've been in a really, really long time with that. Uh, looking at this game, though, you know, 
Kentucky struggled uh, with, with Mississippi State earlier in the week. They seem to have some injury issues, but it looks like Ty Ty Washington might be actually back for this game. We're still not sure at this point. But going into this game, what's the first thing that jumps out to you as either the most intriguing storyline or the most important matchup from this game? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, there's (laughs) – I hate to be the guy who picks, like, multiple things, but here I'm going to do it. Okay. Oh, it's fine. So first of all, I I don't really know that Kentucky has anyone that can guard Ochai consistently – I talked with uh, Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio on the show today, and he thinks that uh, it could be Jacob Toppin, the younger brother of Obi Toppin, who's more of a, a power forward, but he's an athletic, like, 6'8 power forward who he thinks could go around on him. But he doesn't play. He might only play 20 minutes a game. So that's still going to leave time that I don't know who's going to be guarding Ochai. So I think big opportunity for Ochai, once again. Um, so that's the positive for KU. The negative for KU, I think, is that with all these questions we're having about the guard play, the lead guard play, I should say specifically, with how much is Remy going to play? How well is Remy going to play? Uh, are we going to get good Dewan? Are we going to get a Dewan matchup that he struggled against Texas Tech? When you look at Kentucky, you know, this is kind of a, a down year, I would say, for having like, like who is the best lead guard in the country? I, there's no like immediate standout that comes to mind, I'm sure. Somebody is thinking someone, and, and I'm going to sound like an idiot here, but um, <laughs> I, I think that <laughs> when you think of Kentucky's backcourt, when healthy, again, I, I think Ty Ty Washington is expected to play, but it's not a certainty. Uh, Ty Ty Washington, severe Wheeler, um, and, and Wheeler's not a good shooter at all, but it's it's interesting for two parts. One, both of them were being recruited by KU, and um, they are a really good backcourt. And for KU specifically, without – really having certainty what you're going to get there and and how they're going to match up. Because like, for instance, in the Kansas state game, like K-State's backcourt was better than KU's backcourt. You could also just say, well, they were just hitting a bunch of shots. So of course they were better. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. But um, that is a worry for me. And I think that's a long-term worry because when you talk about the NCAA tournament, we talk about March madness, you're always talking about lead guard play. So that's something I'm worried about that would favor Kentucky. But I will say this, if Kansas holds their own against a really good Kentucky backcourt, I think that has really awesome repercussions for KU, because like I said, that would matter in the NCAA tournament. And then the third thing is just the Dave and Oscar Shibway matchup. Um, It's interesting because, you know, I I think you're obviously expecting Shibway to get more, but the goal here for Dave should be, you know, you're not going to completely shut him down or, or shut him out off the glass, but instead of him getting 20 rebounds and 25 points, hold him to, you know, 15 points and 15 rebounds, right? Like it's, it's just trying to limit him whatever way you can. And um, there have been, I think three matchups featuring David McCormick and Oscar Shibway when they were KU West Virginia, there really was only one true one that I looked at because one of them had Dave coming off the bench. One of them had Dave and Yudoka starting next to each other. So that's not going to play out like right. this one will. And then even the third one that I could take the most from, you had Oscar Shibway starting next to Derek Culver, which that's very different than how Kentucky's going to have spacing. But in that game, I will say, David McCormick had 10 points, 11 rebounds, um, and Oscar Shibway had three points, five rebounds in 18 minutes. That is a good sign, I guess, for KU. If you can just get good Dave, which I will say, is a scary proposition, but also he has played better against traditional bigs than he has against the smaller, quicker teams, right? Like the Dayton's of the world, right. like the Texas Techs of the world. Although, like I said, played okay this last game, but struggled in the first one. Um, I think if you can just neutralize that position as much as possible, especially for KU, because they don't really have, like none of their other bigs match up well with Oscar Shibway. There's a lot on Dave. And like I said, that is uh, a little bit of a scary proposition. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. It's almost like you're stealing all my talking points because we've actually Sorry. talked. No, no, it's okay. We, we've we talked here on, on this podcast, uh, Steve Fetch and I, multiple times about how David McCormick this year seems to play a whole lot better when he goes up against a traditional big that is going to challenge him. Almost, almost as if he gets disinterested or gets, you know, distracted by quicker players that are playing out on the perimeter and can't, you know, lock into his fundamentals. Um, you know, the, the other thing that's super interesting about that matchup is the fact that, you know, you have, you have David McCormick, who is the number one offensive rebounder by rebounding rate, um, versus Oscar Shibway, who's the number one defensive rebounder by rebounding rate. Um, the, the main difference there is that obviously Oscar Shibway is a much better, he's, he's number two in terms of offensive rebounding. So he's by far the best rebounder in the country. Um, David is going to have a lot kind of, uh, a, a lot of issues, I think 
trying to replicate the normal type of production that he does and stopping his opponent from doing that. But, you know, that is like that is one of those things where if McCormick, like you said, can limit what Oscar Shibway does, because you're not going to stop him. You know, it's just like when you went and played Buddy Heald, you know, when you went and played all these star players, you weren't going to stop them from scoring. It was about limiting what they were able to do and making sure that that when you focused on them, that somebody else didn't step up and beat you. Um, and so it's going to be a similar sort of thing. I don't know that that uh, Kentucky has another guy that can rebound quite that well. So it's no, so if if McCormick's able to limit what Sheboy can do, that will definitely help because there's not like an immediate oh well this guy can come in and get all the rebounds instead. Um, it's much more likely that McCormick and Sheboy are going to kind of split stuff. Um, but I, I honestly think that what's super interesting to me is the fact that you have you know two of the top national player of the year candidates in Ochai Abaji and Oscar Sheboy playing on opposite sides of this, and they're probably never going to actually match up on each other directly at all. Um, you know, it's always, it's always kind of weird. Like when you're talking about in the NFL, when you have two MVP quarterback candidates, you know, and it's the matchup of the two of the two MVP candidates. And yet they don't ever, they're never on the field at the same time. So it's not like they're actually matching up directly. It's more, more or less can, you know, can Abaji do what he does well, better than Shibway can do what he does well. And will it help their team win? Like, that's really what it comes down to. So, you know, it's, it's not your traditional matchup when you think of two national player of the year candidates going after each other. Um, but I, I definitely think that both of these teams play into the style of what their candidates do. You know, Kentucky's a much more physical team that likes to play down low a whole bunch. While Kansas likes to play down low through David McCormick, they're nowhere near as good at it. And when they're playing really well, usually everything's running through Abaji. He's getting a whole bunch of shots. And, you know, when when people collapse on him, he's, he's able to kick it out to someone else. So it'll be interesting to see which style wins out. Um, what, what about the other kind of the other players that we are going to kind of see surrounding this. Cause it seems like every time Kansas goes in one of these big matchups, you know, we, we talk about the three or four best players and there's some random player that comes off the bench that lights it up, especially coming to Allen field house. Like, is there a guy that you're worried about as being that guy that can have a huge breakout performance in this game that no one's going to see coming? Yeah. The old Sean McNeil, right? Um, I would say there's, there's two guys for Kentucky. Um, one of them is, is Davion Mintz. The other is Kellen Grady. Now, uh, Kellen Grady is, is a, a well-known guy. He had a good career at Davidson. He is one of the best three point shooters in the country, but he's not a guy who's going to like beat you on off the dribble and, and on his own. Uh, same for Davion Mintz. He's not going to really like beat you off the dribble, but he's a good set three point shooter. As I mentioned with those lead guards for Kentucky, Ty Ty Washington and severe Wheeler, they're both really good at getting into the teeth of the defense uh, getting dribble penetration and kicking out to those guys and letting them hit threes from the outside. So that's the challenge for KU, a KU defense that has not been very good this season. If you're allowing dribble penetration, then basically you're going to create the the kind of defensive rotations that are going to leave one of those guys open on the perimeter. When you have all this attention to Oscar Shibway and you have to pay attention to the guards driving in the lane, those are going to be the plays that kill you. They drive and kick out and either Kellen Grady or Davion Mintz hit some threes, but it's kind of interesting because Kentucky isn't like, this isn't a super deep version of Kentucky. This isn't, you know, a team that has four future first round picks coming off the bench or anything. They don't play like a super deep rotation. So um, it's kind of more tightly knit, but yeah, those two guys are, are more of the role player three point shooters and, and uh, could definitely be lethal in this game. If, if KU can't stay in front of, Ty Ty and uh, Wheeler. Yeah, th- those are really the guys that I'm that I'm the most worried about as well. It seems like there's always some random guy that goes off, you know, like like I would say like a Dante Allen or someone who, you know, is a, a 19% three-point shooter normally on the season, and he goes, you know, seven of eight or something ridiculous like that. I, I don't see a guy in Kentucky the way that they like to play that it's likely that something like that's going to happen. I do, however, see on the other side, a, a, a guy for Kansas that's super intriguing for me is someone that we were just talking about a little bit ago, KJ Adams. Like, I think this is this is a similar sort of, of uh, I think, opportunity for him to do something similar to, and, and again, I'm throwing back to a an absolute KU great, someone that we talk about all the time, but like this is shaping up to be a, a similar in terms of the way that these players are thought about of, you know, Cole Aldridge going up against Tyler Hansborough in the final four, like that sort of thing where there's like, you expected Tyler Hansborough to just, you know, walk all over him at that point. And, you know, if, if, if Cole Aldridge is the guy that's in the game against a guy like Hansborough, you know, with Aldridge being a freshman, then you were worried, like something was going wrong. The fact you had to throw someone in there and foul trouble and all that stuff. 
I, I just think that KJ Adams, the way he matches up the energy he brought, and maybe this is a little bit of holdover from the end of that game against Texas Tech, but you know, we have seen lots of flashes from him, lots of potential from him. And, you know, they are going to reach a point, especially since uh, I'm just double checking here, but, uh, you know, Kentucky, from what I can tell, tends to send, or I'm sorry, tends to get to the line quite a bit. Um, you know, they, they, they are, I'm sorry, they cause foul trouble. They don't necessarily get to the line from it, but they do actually cause their opponents to get into a lot of foul trouble. And so I'm worried about a guy like McCormick getting into a, a bunch of foul trouble. I don't think Mitch Lightfoot can actually hold up down low against Shibway, but Adams is big enough that he could potentially come in there and the energy that he provides, the different look that he provides is an opportunity for him to kind of break out. Do you, do you think that it's, that that's a decent possibility that he could do something like that? Or is there another player from Kansas that you think could be a more of a pleasant surprise for the Jayhawks come, come the end of the day on Saturday? I'm glad you brought this up because this has been like a super interesting conversation for us this week of, yeah, what happens if David McCormick gets in foul trouble or even, if he's not in foul trouble, because actually both Dave and, and Oscar Shibway have done a good job of, of avoiding fouls this year. Um, but again, like even if Dave isn't in foul trouble, he might only play 20, 25 minutes. And Shibway usually plays around 30, 32 or so. So you're still going to be left with other minutes that you need on Shibway. Like you said, I don't think Mitch Lightfoot is a good matchup. Like he's just going to get buried by Shibway. That This is not the matchup for him, although I do think. Uh, Mitch has done kind of an admirable job in, in the role he's been asked to do. This is not it. Um, Zach Clements, we haven't even seen play the last two games. So all of a sudden, are you going to ask him to, to come in to a guy who's national player of the year candidate? And, you know, on one hand, I think it would be interesting to say, hey, you know what? We're just going to trade twos with threes. Shibway's not going to be able to defend Clements on the perimeter. But uh, the one issue with Zach Clements this year, you can just tell he's not physically there yet. And now you're going up against the strongest big man in college basketball. So probably not a great matchup there. Um, so, yeah, I think you're, you're boiled down to KJ Adams. And at first I was kind of thinking it through and, and I was thinking, you know, he's only six foot seven. But then you look at it like Oscar Shibway, as, as much of a, a dominant big man as he has been inside, He's not like a seven footer. He's six foot nine. KJ Adams, six foot seven. So it's not like it's a huge size difference. And if you're talking about Oscar Shibway as like the strongest big man in college basketball, I mean, they showed this during the TV broadcast. Like they showed KJ Adams like tree trunk legs. And, and that's yeah. what he is known for being this super strong chiseled freshman that maybe he would actually be the best matchup. I think regardless of what happens, like it's, it's going to have to be probably double teaming a good amount. And I think that, um, Jalen Wilson is going to have to have a big game on, on the glass because it's going to be a situation where like KJ Adams is going to have to, or, or David McCormick is going to have to occupy so much time of um, Oscar Shibway that Jalen's going to have to grab a lot of rebounds or Christian Brown's going to have to grab a lot of rebounds. So in that way it's a team thing, but I, I do agree with you. Like the more I think about it, KJ Adams might be the guy after Dave in this one. Well, it's also one of those things like, you know, I've, this has been kind of one of my, points that I've been harping on is that this team really needs a guy that's like that energy guy. And, and Adams brings that, especially from, you know, from the post. Um, yes. Bill self talked about Remy Martin being like the energy guy, similar to like a Kevin young, but you need one of those guys down in the post too, especially if you're going to have a guy like Shibway, uh, who's going to be like beating on people relentlessly, giving him a different look in a guy like Adams, you know, and, and, and while I like the, the idea of what you were talking about with Clemens potentially trading, you know, threes for twos, um, he's only played nine minutes since, well, in conference play, like the last significant, well, the last significant minutes he had actually was all the way back in, against North Texas. Um, you know, other than that, he hasn't played more than seven minutes in a game except for the Texas Tech game, which is where he probably got himself injured or, you know, started to tweak something or something. But we haven't seen him since that Texas, that, that loss in Lubbock to Texas Tech. And then he didn't really play that great. So I, I, I have a hard time imagining that Clemens is actually going to even see the floor for this one, assuming that he's healthy, unless we get obviously into, you know, blowout, like, you know, garbage minutes or something like that. Then then he might actually get on the floor. But yeah, uh, KJ Adams seems to me to be the guy that they're going like the 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 sneaky option for them to try to get somebody in there that can give Shiway a different look that can potentially, conf you know, not not really confuse, but to 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 change it up enough that they're not, you know, kind of or disrupt the rhythm that they have and things like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he does. Um, I, again, I'm not expecting him to play, you know, like 15 minutes and score, you know, 10 points or anything like that. But I think if you throw him in there for 10 minutes, use him as kind of a change of pace to try to frustrate 
Shibuya because he's getting a completely different look, having to play it completely different, and do that often enough th- throughout the game that you kind of throw off the rhythm that they have, then that could be something that you could use to, you know, potentially give Kansas an edge in what's going to be a really, really difficult matchup. So, all right, um, kind of wrapping up on this on this actual matchup here, um, you know, taking a look, like, is there something that this game boils down to you or down to for you? Like, is there one specific stat or one specific matchup that you think is going to have a, a huge impact on, other than, of course, the ones that we've already talked about, it's going to have a huge impact on whether Kansas is able to win the game? Yeah, um, I think that if Ochai is is making shots and, and looking like the guy we've seen the last two games where he's this assassin, I think KU... Uh, you got to like your chances to win um, as long as David McCormick can sort of, again, not expecting him to outperform Oscar Shibway, but can you make it as neutral as possible there? Same with the guard play. Those are kind of the keys to me. Um, otherwise, if Oscar Shibway just grabs all the rebounds or if Kentucky, their guards are constantly getting guard penetration and they're exposing your defense and they're getting all the offensive rebounds with Oscar Shibway. Like that's how they lose this game. And I do think it is very much a coin flip game. Um, I, I am worried about those matchups because that is, that is a lot of matchups that I, I think you could say favor Kentucky in this game. But at the end of the day, if Ochag Baji is an assassin and if Christian Brown starts hitting shots, like we said, then maybe that's enough for KU to, to pull one out. Yeah. The, the one thing that kind of struck me um and, and I think the key for Kansas is going to be trying to keep Kentucky off guard because like watching them play against Mississippi state, it seemed like anything, anytime there was a significant change in the way that Mississippi state was playing against Kentucky, that Kentucky struggled for a few possessions while they tried to figure it out. You know, they had guys go out of the lineup, you know, every, every, every time they switched lineups, it took them a possession or two to kind of get back. So they, if, if they can get comfortable, if they can, you know, start going at top gear, then it's going to be really difficult for Kansas to kind of stick with them if they are firing on all cylinders. But there, I think there's a lot that Bill Self can do to change the pacing, can, to change the tone of the game. He can do a lot of different things with the guys that he has, you know, like playing with Remy Martin compared to playing with, with Dewan Harris, that is a completely different style of play for Kansas. And so if you can use those sorts of things, those different lineups, those, you know, different ways to attack Kentucky to your advantage to kind of keep them off balance, even just a little bit, I think that can give Kansas the edge that they need. The question is going to be like, so I'm almost looking for, you know, if there's a, a 15 minute stretch of the game where you're basically playing the entire lineup at the same time and you're going back and forth, that's when Kentucky gets into the zone. And, and I think you're going to be in trouble. I think I'm actually almost more uh, looking forward to seeing how many different ways Bill Self can come together to try to attack this team, to try to keep Kentucky from getting too comfortable, even in a place like Allen Fieldhouse. Cause you know, they don't shy away from going into difficult, you know, areas kind of like Kansas doesn't shy away from going on the road and, you know, putting up big performances there. So. I have kind of two X factors with that. I think one, uh, I know Steve Fetch will love this. Jalen Wilson, does he play the five at all? We saw it against Kentucky. He was awesome. I haven't really entertained it a ton this year because just self hasn't really talked about it, but also um, I, I think at times he was struggling now that he's picking it back up. Maybe they go with that. Cause that's the same idea as the Zach Clements. We can right. trade threes for twos though. Jalen has not been shooting well. And then um, the other X factor that I think could happen is you mentioned maybe switching it up a little. This could be a perfect triangle in two game. We saw it in the game that the rules of basketball were introduced. And I think they triangled in two against like Jamal Murray and, uh, maybe Tyler Ulis or, or whoever else was on the team. You do a triangle in two, get the uh, people inside, and then you have one of the man-to-man people on Ty Ty Washington. You have the other one on one of either Davion Mintz or Kellen Grady, whichever shooter's on the court, and you kind of just leave Severe Wheeler and say, if you shoot it, you shoot it. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of the other thing too, right? I, I didn't even think about like scheme-wise. You know, Bill Self pulls out stuff like the triangle two in dire emergencies, but I can't imagine playing a team like Kentucky isn't, you know, the time to pull out all the stops. So if you find a, a stretch where things seem like they might be getting out of hand, throw in the triangle and two for a minute or two, see how much it disrupts what they're doing, and then you can switch back out of it. You know, like, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities there. I hadn't even thought about using that. Um, but, yes, I do agree that that uh, my my some or my uh, very often guest host in, in Steve Fetch will be very, very happy uh, to, to hear the possibility of Jalen Wilson playing the five because <laughs> – Look, it's one of those things Kansas does as long as Jalen Wilson is scoring and they're not getting completely overmatched in terms of rebounding. 
uh, yeah, it, it does it does work pretty well for them. So, but you know what? That is the other thing too. Talking about Jalen Wilson is kind of a sneaky good rebounder. Like he's had double digit rebounds uh, in the last two games. Got pretty close against Oklahoma. Uh, well, Oklahoma and West Virginia, and that's when he really started to play a whole lot better than he than he had been. Um, you know, so he he's been on somewhat of a hot streak the last four games. The first two of those, it was hot shooting. This last game or these last two games, it was hot rebounding. So he brings a lot of different dynamics. So, all right, we could probably go on and on about pretty much everybody here. But before we wrap up, I did want to ask your thoughts just in general, because, you know, obviously the Big 12 SEC Challenge is something we've done every year now for I don't even remember how long it's been. Um, I, I think there's a real strong argument to be made that the Big 12 and the SEC very easily could be the two best leagues in the in the nation this year. The Big 10 has an argument um, because of how many you know how many teams that they have that are that that are decent. But um, what are you looking for from the Big 12 in this particular series? Like, is this one where to 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 show how good the Big 12 is, they need to actually win the series or you know potentially get like win 7-3 or something like that or is this just going to be one where you don't really care too much about, you know, what the actual final record is as long as everybody's playing some good basketball. Yeah, it's it's a little harder for me um to, you know, take away sweeping results now if the SEC went like 9 and 1 or 10 and 0 or something like yes, Yeah, would, that'd be kind of ridiculous. Have, yeah, exactly. But if it's like if the SEC wins like six to four or something, you know, it's so easy to chalk it up and be like, yeah, but they had the better matchups. Like they had teams that maybe were more of the underdog, but they were at home. Whereas uh, our favorite teams were playing easier or whatever it is to where, you know, it, it can just kind of match up weird on a year to year basis. And also it's just one game samples, even for, for 10 different teams, it can just be a bad matchup thing that you played the wrong team in the sec. I, I kind of view it as like bowl records where like, you know, the sec, for instance, as fun as it was to see them like fail in all these bowl games, they still are going to end up with like the most first round picks and most NFL draft picks and um, still won the national championship and had the two national champion teams and have all these teams ranked and everything. So like, I, I think it's more of like a footnote and something that happens, but like come February or March, like it's not going to be, probably a discussion point about like, Hey, should, should Kansas get a one seed or a two seed? I don't know. The big 12 lost in the uh, big 12 SEC challenge six to four. You know? No, that's true. But I do think that the results from this weekend could go a long way to determining how many eventual, you know, bids the big 12 gets in the turn in the tournament. Cause you know, if, if teams like Kansas state, um, you know, and West Virginia, you know, and like TCU, like TCU is probably the, the most to gain from the big 12. If they can pull off an upset against LSU, this weekend that will go a long way I think to kind of solidifying a little bit of a slide that they're on um, and getting them right back on the right side of the bubble but there there's a lot of teams that have the potential for some some pretty big wins you know um, obviously Kansas is in a good position if they can get this win against Kentucky but they're not going to need it Baylor can get a good a good solid win on the road against Alabama but they're not necessarily going to need it Oklahoma has an opportunity to go down to Auburn to try to get a resume building win against Auburn at home um, you know, so like there are definitely some good opportunities for the big 12, but like you said, like, as long as it's not like an eight to two result there, I don't think anybody's going to immediately look at the results of this weekend and say, Hey, the sec won, which means that they're the better conference. Um, I, I do enjoy having this though, in this kind of time timing, because it's a nice kind of palate cleanser from, you know, all of the, the difficult big 12 matchups. And yes, you've got a lot of teams that are still facing some difficult matchups here, but, uh, given how much of a slog it is to go through the big 12 every single week twice a week. It's nice to have one weekend where we can all just celebrate and I can actually root for all the big 12 teams to actually win um, and not have to worry about like scenarios. Like, do I want Texas tech to win this game? Cause I think they're more likely to lose to Baylor and Texas on the road later, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I can just sit back and enjoy all of the big 12 schools that are playing and, and really hope that they all pull out a win. So, all right, Derek, any other final thoughts you want to leave us with before you get out here for the night? No, uh, I hope that we get some uh, good news with home field apparel. And uh, I think you should do do the Lord's work there and uh, do whatever you can to get KU gear. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I've, I've been bugging them relentlessly. I've been bugging Travis Goff relentlessly on Twitter. Um, so if they don't get it in this, it will not be because of my lack of trying. So, well, all, right. <laughs> all right, Derek, uh, where can everybody find your work? So you can uh, give me a follow. It's at D Johnson radio on Twitter. Um, I'm on rock truck sports talk Monday through Friday on KLWN, which is one one seven on the FM dial 1320 on the AM or KLWN.com from three to six. Yeah. The, the final thought that I'll leave everyone with is myself is that I sure hope that this weekend 
of sports is not as stressful as this last weekend of sports. Because yes, the Chiefs almost <laughs> that that game again with against the Bills was absolutely ridiculous. I was actually on a podcast while I was watching that. Um, and you can actually hear the live reaction that I that I had to it at that point. It was absolutely ridiculous just watching all of that while I was trying to do that. But yes, yeah, so hopefully, you know, Kansas can get a nice big win against Kentucky, you know, win by like 12 or something where we're not like stressing it out at the end. And then the Chiefs can either go blow out the Bengals and we can all have a happy weekend. So, all right, Derek, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts. It was Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely great. Uh, you can actually do that now over on Spotify as well, not just Apple Podcasts. So you can give us a rating over there. If, if you can't give us those great ratings, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the Anchor platform, so you can leave us a voicemail. It's been a while since I've had one of those. I would love to get your guys' voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message, and you can leave that voicemail there, and I promise we'll get you on. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network. Uh, great work that's being done over there. It's covering all the teams in the conference. I always say that if you want to know how the conference is going to affect the Jayhawks. You need to know what's going on with the rest of the conference. So I highly recommend you guys go over there on Twitter at TEN12Network uh, to get links to all the shows over there so you can stay up to date with everything happening in the conference. But big thanks to, to our sponsor here, Homefield Apparel. Again, promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Derek, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott and Holman Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott and Holman Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week, and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Sports Social Podcast Network.